This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Herbert Boss. He's a professor at VU University Amsterdam, where he co-leads the VUSEC System Security Research Group. He's author of the Operating Systems and Virtualization Security Knowledge Area. The Operating Systems and Virtualization Security is basically the security that is offered by the lowest levels of the software stack. So this is the code that you know, controls all access to, uh, to resources on your operating system. And therefore, I think it provides the, um, the foundation on which all further security is built, right? So this is the, the bedrock on which all the, uh, the further security is, is built. What is some of the history behind that? I mean, what, what led us to the, today's reality that, that, that that's where we find ourselves? Yeah, so you have to realize that operating systems and, and also virtual machines have been around for a very long time. Much of this work that we're talking about today was actually already begun in the 1960s or 1970s. So a lot of the groundwork was done in, uh, in operating systems such as Multics, uh, which is a a very advanced operating system that uh, that never became very successful in uh, you know in, in in practice, but uh, but actually influenced most of the operating systems that uh, that came after it, including Unix and Windows and and so on. That basically is uh, is where the uh, the security designs were originating that uh, that we still use on a, on a day to day basis. Well, let's go through the publication together. You begin by describing the attacker model. Yes. What I decided to do in the uh, description of, uh, of operating system and, uh, and virtualization security is uh, start with a general introduction, right? So the, where, why is this important that we look, uh, look at security at the operating system and virtualization layer? And then um, make it immediately somewhat practical. Look at what are the things that we have to defend against. So the threats that, uh, that the operating system has to deal with. And the operating system has to deal with threats from multiple directions. On the one hand, there are the programs that run on the system, on top of the operating system or the virtualization layer, right, that may uh, try to attack each other or try to attack the operating system. On the other hand, we also have the threats coming from, I don't know, the network, right? So there's, uh, there's people sending network data which may try to attack the operating system or the applications. And finally, there may be malicious devices connected to our computer system. So something that gets plugged into your machine and tries to, uh, to compromise it. So there are threats from multiple different directions trying to accomplish different things. So on the one hand, the operating system must try to you know, make sure that the applications stay isolated from each other, they're protected and not, nobody can touch their sensitive data, for instance. And on the other hand, so that's the, the, the security that's offered by the operating system or the virtualization technology. And on the other hand, there's also the uh, security of the operating system and the virtualization uh, layer. So, you know, the operating system has to ensure that its vital data, its, its sensitive data isn't compromised or isn't, uh, doesn't leak to the uh, uh, unauthorized attacker. 
Can you take us through some of the specific kinds of attacks that uh, that might be seen? So we have a number of, of, of things that we uh, we have to defend against as a as an operating system, right? So on the on the one hand, there are fairly trivial kind uh, kind of uh, of threats where you know maybe you convince an administrator to install install a, a malicious driver, some uh, piece of software inside your operating system that does really bad things. That is, you know, you're abusing the trust or the uh, gullibility of an administrator. But what we're also seeing more and more is that uh, the attackers use uh, security bugs, software vulnerabilities, to uh, to compromise some some part of the software, right? So there maybe there's memory errors, which is covered by the uh, the knowledge uh, area on uh, software security. Uh, which allows them to exploit the operating system code, and then the uh, the attacker can get access to uh, to the operating system and and gain control there. So there we use bugs, security vulnerabilities. Um, but nowadays the vulnerabilities are going even beyond the software. So we have vulnerabilities that um, attackers can exploit that exist in the hardware rather than the software. So there are bugs in. Uh, the memory modules that we use or the uh, CPUs that we use that can be exploited to either uh, compromise a system in, uh, in, in uh, the sense that we, uh, we, an attacker is able to uh, run his own code, his own, uh, his own functionality in uh, the operating system or, or virtualization layer, or to leak very sensitive information from those uh, uh, layers of the, uh, the software stack. You know, incredibly advanced. And it means that the control that the operating system needs to have over resources and the isolation that it needs to provide go much beyond what we traditionally saw as the resources that needed to be protected. We always thought about the resources that needed to be protected as the CPU, the memory, the disk, uh, the network bandwidth, and so on. But it turns out that with these new kinds of attack, we also need to worry about uh, more fine-grained resources that need to be uh, catered to. So attackers nowadays can use resources on the CPU that are below what we refer to as the, uh, the, the architectural level. So stuff that you shouldn't be able to uh, be even aware of as a, uh, a programmer. So the fact that there is a cache in your system it's not something that should be visible to you as a programmer, except in, in, the, in the sense that you get a performance boost out of this. But nevertheless, attackers can use the cache and some other microarchitectural features to launch you know, very dangerous attacks that, uh, that leak very sensitive information. So it becomes much more complicated. Yeah. Well, uh, let's continue to go through the report together. Uh, one of the key sections here is uh, operating system security principles and models. Can you give us an overview of uh, what you're going through here? Yeah. So the operating systems and virtualization layer being the, uh, the lowest levels in the software stack and being the bedrock of all other security that is built on top of this in the system are very frequently discussed in terms of fundamental principles. Right. So the, um, the early work in the 1970s that was done in this sense discussed a number of security principles that we can use as a guide to uh, help us design better systems, better operating systems. Okay? And also as a checklist to help us you know, determine how, you know, whether or not we, um, 
we adhere to certain fundamental security principles. For instance, security principles such as the principle of least authority, where we say that you know if you design an operating system out of components, each component should have only the privileges, the rights, to do what it is supposed to do, and no more. It should have the least possible authority, the principle of least authority. Okay, so that is a fundamental principle because if then this component gets compromised, the attacker will only gain those privileges and no more. So those are fundamental privileges that, uh, that are typically uh, referred to as the principles by Salzer and Schroeder. And, uh, and they still stand today. So these principles are still valid today. Other principles have been added to the list, but the Salzer and Schroeder principles, such as principle of uh, least authority, the principle of complete mediation, which basically says that every component, if it interacts with another component, the, um, the access should be mediated and checked whether or not it's authorized. So these uh, principles, help you design a more secure system. And if you've built a system, you can actually use those principles to see, you know, to what extent do we violate these principles? The other thing that we do in operating systems is protect the flow of information in a system. And some operating systems go very far in this sense. So they have uh, very strict access control models that, uh, that regulates the flow of information that is permissible within the system. So this also stems from the uh, this, uh, 1970s, an attempt to actually cater to these mainframes that the uh, Department of Defense in the US were trying to use and where they wanted to have multiple principles active on the same operating system, the same mainframe computer, even though they had very different clearance levels. And they wanted to prevent, for instance, that uh, you know, someone who uh, had very little clearance levels could access information that was uh, uh, only supposed to be accessed by people with very high clearance levels. So there's, uh, they've designed a number of formal uh, access models that, uh, that, for instance, made sure that this could never happen. So the Bellapadula uh, access model is one where confidentiality is, uh, is the most important aspect of the information flow. And um, this was actually uh, implemented in this, uh, this Multics operating system. So the Multics operating system implements some access model that is very close to that, uh, that, that formal model. Of course, the confidentiality of information is not the only important thing. There are other things that are very important also. For instance, the integrity of information. So a very different access model safeguards not so much the confidentiality, but the integrity where you want to prevent someone from, you know, a low rank to edit the documents of someone who's at a very high rank. So it's the exact opposite of the confidentiality model. Here you care about integrity. Anyway, these kinds of access control models are what we refer to as mandatory access control. So here we have a system-wide policy that is non-negotiable, so every user has to comply with that model. It's mandatory access control and it regulates the flow of information through the system. 
what we typically use in, in, in sort of general purpose operating systems that we use on a day-to-day -day basis is not so much a mandatory access control model, but what we refer to as a discretionary access control model. So you have access to a certain document. You can uh, read it, you can write it, maybe you can, um, you can execute it if it's a program, and I don't. Now, it's entirely within your abilities to transfer some of that authority to me. So what you can say, you know what, I'm going to make this file available to you. So this is not mandatory access control. This is discretionary access control. You can decide who gets access to a certain document that you have access to. OK, and both of these are, are important. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that uh, a lot of uh, the, the, the methods that we use today are, are legacies from uh, back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, are there any elements that, um, that we're kind of stuck with from, from that era that, uh, looking back on it, that perhaps uh, you know, we'd, be, we'd be better off if we, if we hadn't had that history behind us? I think it, it may be the other way around, right? We used to have a certain number of uh, design choices in our operating systems, such as Multics, that, uh, that were very much geared to, uh, to security. And what we've seen in the, um, the years that followed, because of the incredible complexity that these uh, uh, design choices entailed, is that we've abolished them, or at least made them less prominent. So when the Unix operating system was designed, it was designed in a much simpler way. And the descendants of Unix and, uh, and some of the other operating systems also have perhaps had a little less attention to security than, for instance, the Multics operating system had. And only in you know, uh, re more recent years have we started reintroducing some of the mechanisms that we, uh, that we had in the early operating systems in modern operating systems. So that we can now also do uh, mandatory access control, for instance, in operating systems such as Linux and Windows and many other features also. What are some of the things that you hope people take away from this uh, publication? Someone who's read it, what are the lessons that you'd like them to leave with? Um, some of the lessons that I would like people to take away from this knowledge area, this description, are, for instance, that many of the ideas that we worry about now have existed for a long time. The principles haven't changed, but there has still been uh, a lot of development. For instance, because the threats have become so much more advanced, what we have done with our operating systems and virtualization techniques is not so much, you know, advance the principles so much, but rather add new security mechanisms to cater to ever increasingly advanced threats. So the attacks have become so complicated that we have to now incorporate many new mechanisms, many new primitives. But it's important, I think, to realize that, you know, these, these folks in the 60s and 70s, they did quite a lot of the groundwork that we still benefit from today. Adopting these security solutions appears to be a real problem, right? So, uh, so many of the, uh, the uh, security solutions are not coming from the operating system vendors or the Linux kernel developers or so on. They come from, uh, from external groups. They're not quite as eagerly adopted as you might think or, or uh, might want. And the reason for that could be manifold, right? So it's, it's not free. Nothing is free. If you add new defenses, they will slow down the system. And uh, nobody likes that very much. The other problem is that uh, security is hard to measure 
And so whenever you add a new defense and slow down your system, you also want to have some idea of the benefit in terms of security. How much more secure will we be if we add this, uh, this security feature? And it turns out that we're you know, really bad at answering that question. So the trade-off between security on the one hand, additional security or loss of security on the one hand, and performance overhead on the other hand, is not clear at all. And it turns out that many operating system development teams are somewhat reluctant in, uh, in adopting uh, the, uh, the security solutions that uh, people have, uh, have proposed in the past. What's the reluctance there? So again, so the, nothing is free, right? So the, whenever you add security measures, they will slow down your system and uh, they will also complicate your system typically. So it's, it's problematic in that, uh, in that sense. That's Herbert Moss. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Program and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The Cybok Podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.